Ephesians chapter 6. Oh, let's see. Verse 10. We've been on a scenic journey through the book of Ephesians. And we've come to the part where Paul says, finally. Now, like a good preacher, when he says finally, he's not quite done yet. Usually, you know, when I say that, we're almost done. And then what is it, like 20 more minutes, we're not done? Paul's saying finally, and he's really almost done here. But the finally is they look, if you didn't hear anything else I said, you got to hear this. Finally, verse 10, be strong in the Lord and in the strength of his might. Put on the whole armor of God that you might be able to stand against the schemes of the devil. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers over this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. Therefore, take up the whole armor of God that you might be able to withstand in the evil day and having done all to stand firm. Father, we ask for you to give us uh, insight this morning on this topic that is one that most of us would just rather ignore. And pray for you to, um, to give us each the, the, the rhema, the specific word for each of our hearts that we each need this morning. And it's in your name that we pray. Amen. My friend Elson Bennett uh, is a six foot three, 250 pound, full blooded Navajo Indian. I met Elson in Tulsa, Oklahoma. Elson's dad was a pastor in the reservation Kaibato out in way middle of nowhere, Arizona. Raised, born in his daddy was a preacher, his granddaddy was a preacher, and so Elson, like any good preacher's kid, was like, no thank you to that. And so I met him at Bible College, because Bible College, if you're looking for a place to backslide, parenthetically, is a great place. Because you find a bunch of pastor's kids who are mad at, their, at God and and Elson was one of them. And so Elson, though, when I, that summer of 92, was decided that he wanted to come back to the Lord, that he was on this journey back to the faith of, of his youth. And, but in the middle of all that, Elson had been having these attacks. In the, he called them attacks in the middle of the night. And I'm 22. I'm at best skeptical, a little sketchy, you know. But the summer of 92, we were headed to Arizona for a few weeks to the reservation. We were going to do some music, and uh, his dad did this thing called camp meeting every year out there. And camp meeting there was genuinely like a tent, and people would come from all over the reservation, and they would bring their, their goat. They'd cut the head off and hang it up. And so you're worshiping that morning and eating that night. Um, it was also the first time I ever had mutton, which was no good. Um, but on the way to... Kaibato, Arizona, we stop in Albuquerque, which is uh, not halfway, and we're on uh, his, I'm sleeping on the couch, it's his sister's house, so I'm on the couch, Elson and his wife are on an air mattress on the floor, and it's somewhere around 2 a.m., and Elson woke up screaming like someone was stabbing him, and that alarmed me. Um, I, I wake up. And I look, and I saw what was, I don't know. I can't explain it. But there was this dark thing over the top of him. And if I wouldn't have seen it, I wouldn't have believed it. I'm almost, like, hesitant to tell you because you'll think I'm crazy, but you already probably do, so in theory, you know. And his wife and his, his, his sister comes running in the living room, and we begin to pray. 
and that thing, uh, it just, it literally disappeared really quickly. As soon as he wakes up and we pray, he, it just, it was gone as fast as it was there. And it was uh, uh, the first time that I'd ever seen anything that specific and that uh, nuts, you know, just like, wow, that's, and that, that night was the last time it happened to him. Uh, it was just not that long ago that we were actually in Haiti in the back of a tap-tap sidebar. A tap-tap is an onomatopoeia. Okay, in, in Haiti, uh, those of you that have been, you know, that's basically like a little pickup made in some Asian country that they put bars across the back of it, and then you ride in the back. And the reason it's called the tap-tap is when you get in, you tap it twice when, it's, when you're ready to go, and you tap twice when you're ready to stop. That's the signal. It's a tap-tap. Now back to the story. So we're in the tap-tap. And I've got a bunch of people, which is often the case when we go to a place like, hey, I've got a bunch of people that never, ain't never been nowhere. And they're nervous as a barn cat. We're, we're going through these backwoods. And, and I'm telling them, oh, there's nothing to be worried about. I've never been afraid here. I've no, it's fine. You're going to be just fine. You know. And it genuinely is true. Like, it, we've never, just this is a very, you know, these are people that love life and love their families and just trying to survive. And so there's nothing to be afraid of. But this was around April and the creepy Easter celebrations that happen leading up to Mardi Gras. And so it's, if you, if, however you can make Easter creepy, they have done it. And so they'll do these parades through the streets where they're wearing like scary skull masks and uh, beating on drums and chanting God only knows what. And, it, and they're voodoo ceremonies. And so we're in the tap tap. And we go, we start to encounter this. Like, oh, don't worry. They, they'll just dissipate. They'll go to either side of us. No problem, nothing to worry about. You know, it's how it always happens. Until you say that it's, nothing's going to happen, and then that's something, something happens. So what happens is now they begin to gather around our tap tap, and they begin to shake it. And keeping in mind, it's like pickup. So, I mean, I'm literally here, and they're here. Like, it's a little pickup. Not like the big redneck College Grove Confederate flag truck. This is like little trucks. And uh, so that was alarming. And, I, you know, I'm... I'm realizing, okay, I'm in church. Sometimes when I'm in those situations, I'm waiting for the real pastor to get there, and here I am. <laughs> You're stuck with me. So, you know, I actually didn't, strangely enough, and this is not because I'm especially spiritual. Those of you who've been around me know this is not true. I, but I wasn't afraid for some reason. And there was one guy that was clearly in charge. He had the scary skull mask on, and, and I was frustrated because I didn't know enough Creole to engage with him. But then I remembered that, Demons don't speak Creole either. They, they, they speak all languages. So I was realizing I'm not talking to a guy. I'm talking to some force behind him. And so he and I, it's like scary skull to scary Darren, you know, Alec Baldwin taking on a demon. And Jimmy Baldwin, like the less successful Baldwins. I, but the minute I begin to talk to not the guy but the demon behind him, he backed away. And they all backed, it was just the most bizarre visual. They all back away, and we drove on. And I began to say, see, they weren't going to hurt us. We were really <laughs> scared of <laughs> Here's the thing. We live in a world where there's the war behind the war. And when Paul says, finally, I don't want you to be ignorant of these things he says in 2 Corinthians. By the way, if you're ever looking for a good Bible study, there are five times in the New Testament where they say, it says, don't be ignorant about if you're looking for a good summer thing, just go find those five don't be ignorant and then study them and you won't be ignorant about it. But he says here, I don't want you to be ignorant in 2 Corinthians about Satan's devices, about his schemes. And, you know, I, I, I open with a story like that 
because it gets us our attention. We love the movies. We love the creeper things, you know. And, but the truth is, is that the vast majority of our lives, we wouldn't encounter that kind of a visible, visual, uncommon moment. Because why? Satan is way more crafty than that. Way more cunning than that. As I was growing, after seeing that thing in Albuquerque those years ago, in my mind, I began to look and think, well, that's what the devil is, so I'm looking for that. So once I see that, then I know the devil is at work. And completely missing everything going on the rest of my life. And parenthetically, if you think about it, if Satan is truly crafty, that means he's, yeah, be careful of his schemes, his I believe the King James says wiles. You look in worlds where, like the Navajo Reservation, in Haiti, Indonesia. In the fall, we're going to have this mission conference with the, uh, Jerry Rankin. Uh, Jerry was the head of IMB International Mission Board for a decade. And how many of you remember about 10 years ago, maybe it's been more than that, 15 years ago, it was big news in Nashville when the IMB voted that you couldn't pray in tongues if you were a missionary, one of their missionaries, you had to come. Do you, anybody remember that? See, when they put Jerry in charge, Jerry had been in Indonesia for about 18 years. He raised his children there. Because I'm asking him, do you, I'm asking his son, so is it, what, you know, are people debating cessationism in Indonesia? Are they really wondering, does this stuff still happen? And he's like, oh, no, 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 no. That's something Americans do. That, by the way, so the IMB board put that in place because they were afraid Jerry, who had just come from Indonesia to take over this, might be a little too charismatic for them. Thankfully, David Platt just recently reversed all that craziness. But be that as it may, when you've grown up on the front lines of the darkness that is in the world, in a, in a culture that already is susceptible to spiritual things, in a culture like in Togo where voodoo and, and witchcraft is, then that's the way for Satan to paralyze and to free somebody because they're looking for it there. In our culture, we're way too cultured for that. We put on TV shows like Lucifer. We put, on, we put it in movies. And so we begin to think that the only thing Satan is really doing is this crazy stuff. If someone's head is not spinning around and puke flying in all directions, then it's not the devil. Because that's what the movies say. But Satan is way more cunning and way more crafty than that. And so if we don't want to be ignorant of his schemes... From the youngest to the oldest, then we ought to look at what Paul is saying here about what his schemes are, so that in our own lives, he's way more crafty and he's not going to stop. The Bible tells us, John, uh, Jesus said in the book of John, that his, uh, he comes only to steal, to kill, and to destroy. Like if he had a business card, that's what it would be steal, kill, and destroy. Not only does it say that's what he came to do, it's that he only came to do that, only to steal, kill, and destroy. We talk a lot about the idea that God has a plan for your life, and I believe he does. Satan has a plan for your life. And his uh, greatest joy would be for us to fall and to be ignorant of it, to not recognize it, and to fall, to fall under it. In this just quick passage in the few minutes that we have here, and we're not going to finish this today. We're going to talk about it for a few weeks. But he tells us who we fight, what we fight, and how we fight. Just these first three verses. Who we fight, what we fight, and how we fight. And who do we fight? Verse 
2 tells us, verse 12, we don't wrestle against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers over this present darkness, against the spiritual forces in heavenly places. And if you've uh, been around a while, you might recognize some of those language. If you haven't been, you're like, what, what on earth is all that about? And the truth is, is that Satan is not omnipresent. He's not omniscient. He's not even Jesus' equal. If you've had it in your mind where it's like Batman versus Superman, where it's two equal, it's Satan. At the end of time in Revelation, it's recorded that Jesus doesn't even throw him in the lake of fire. He just sends an angel to do it. He's not Jesus' equal. And when it talks of principalities and of powers, to look to the scripture, you can see evidence of the fact that Jesus, or that Satan is, that there are specific areas of earth even that he has. It's, it's a revelation too that says that uh, Pergamum, this is where Satan has his throne. Modern day Turkey is where Pergamum was. It was a place where there was a lot of uh, vitriolic persecution of Christians, of absolute, of the kind of horrors we hear about today were happening there. Parenthetically, in the early 1900s, a team of Germans moved the throne of Zeus to where they actually think about what Jesus might have been talking about in Pergamum. They moved it to Germany. Now, that was a physical thing. Now, did, you, did Satan move his throne to Germany? I don't know. The Holocaust happened. I think that that's something that just if you're a little bit of a geek and a nerd, you start to look at where, where there's anti-Semitism, where Israel is being attacked in great force is often a place where I believe Satan is literally camping out and doing horrible things to, to Jews and to, to Christians. And so in modern times, we see that happening, and it's the exact same thing, whether it's in the Middle East or wherever around the world. I think that there's a, there's a physical presence of where Satan has his presence, and we as Christians don't have to be afraid of that. The, 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 the danger of me even talking about this is you guys get all spooked and scared and think, I can't. I don't want to go there because if that's where Satan has his throne, the gates of hell will not prevail against you. <laughs> it's locked from the inside. We're not waiting. The gate. In other words, we're not on the other side and they're trying to get to us. We're going there to get them, right? So that's why Mark and Dana in the northern coast of Africa where Islam is on the rise, you know what Mark and Dana do? They don't walk around scared at all. They walk around preaching the gospel, which we're going to see in the coming weeks, the, the, the armor of God is the gospel. So we don't have to be afraid of that. Paul is writing this from prison for crying out loud. Don't be afraid. Our enemy, Satan, walks around like a roaring lion. And in our Western culture, we have this proclivity towards saying, well, I don't want to even think about that. It has to, in fact, in our culture right now, in modern culture, we would say that evil itself in our culture isn't even evil. It's a sociological problem. It's a physiological problem. My, one of my favorite podcasts, My Guilty Pleasures, is Dan Carlin's Hardcore History. Has anybody ever listened to this? If you're on a long flight, or if you're mowing a big yard, or if you're running, or in my case, plodding, these are like four and a half hour long episodes of history, just unbelievable. But he was talking in a most recent one about the, uh, during the Reformation, an unknown history of the Anabaptist movement was when they decided that my, you know, the kingdom of God, we must withdraw. And so they were the opposite of Luther. And that what ends up happening in this Anabaptist town was this cult unfolds where they literally were executing and persecuting 
other Christians. It's just, a, but anyway, so what he's saying in Dan Carlin, a secular progressive liberal, is talking about how this tension that he feels, because modern times we shouldn't, I, I thought, is what he said, I thought we have progressed further than that. Uh, his tension was, I felt like that, how could anybody do that? How, where, what kind of evil is it, not only just to cheer as a crowd and cheer it on, but to be the one to take the hot coal and to put it into the mouth? How, what kind of evil is that? And we feel like we should have progressed beyond that, but realizing that in our world, this stuff still happens how is that even possible? And a secular progressive liberal doesn't have the tools for it because he's trying to figure out from a purely psychological standpoint, from a purely sociological standpoint. And there is no definition for that. If you do, which is what's so great about the Bible because the Bible says, oh, no, no, it's way more complex than that. Are there sociological issues? Yes. Are there psychological? Are there physiological? Yes, yes, and yes. But if you remove the idea of a cosmic Transcendent Evil. Uh, there's a book that uh, I don't recommend because it's just way too long and too boring, but a guy named Andrew Del Banco from Columbia University wrote a book called The Death of Satan. Another secular progressive that says that a gulf is opened in our culture between the visibility of evil and the intellectual resources to cope with it. And he actually goes on to say, they've jettisoned the idea of cosmic transcendent evil or supernatural evil, that we don't even believe in that. In fact, he goes on to say, we don't even like to use the word evil, and the reason we don't like it is because it implies value judgments and moral absolutes. Doesn't this sound familiar? So we use medical terms. We talk about dysfunction, pathology, and we don't use moral terminology, but as the 20th century has gone on, this is the kicker, it's gotten harder and harder to say that the Holocaust, ethnic cleansing, serial killing is just bad psychological and sociological adjustment. The secular progressives are realizing that this idea that it's something that if I can then define it and figure it out, then we could heal it and cure it, that it's wearing thin because that isn't working. He goes on and talks about you know, the book, The Silence of the Lambs. If you're a kid, just don't watch it. But there's a point in the book, and I, I know I can't even say this without you have immediately invoking uh, Anthony Hopkins. But there's a point where the main pro protagonist, Starling, is facing this evil monster for the first time and ask, what, is, what happened to him? He's, she's asking the cop next what happened to him, and, and he hears it, and he says, nothing happened to me. Officer Starling, I happened. You can't reduce me to a set of influences. You've given up good and evil for behaviorism, Officer Starling. You've got everyone in moral dignity pants. Nothing is ever anybody's fault. Look at me. You, can, you can't stand. Look at me. Can you stand to say that I'm evil? Del Banco, looking at this movie, quoting this movie, saying that the world system can't answer the question of why evil is happening. The Bible gives us moral clarity, spiritual clarity, and for us to recognize that it is because there is a cosmic power. And by the way, if you don't believe in the devil but you believe in Jesus, there is uh, a little bit of incompatibility with your belief because Luke 10, Jesus says that I beheld him fallen as lightning from heaven. So if you don't believe in the devil, God does. And one of the greatest gifts we can give him, isn't it C.S. Lewis? By the way, if you're looking for great books, 
on these subjects. Both of them that I would recommend are actually fiction, which is fascinating. But This Present Darkness by Frank Peretti. Have anybody read that? Worth, worth it to go back and reread it. This Present Darkness by Frank Peretti. And C.S. Lewis, The Screwtape Letters. Because what C.S. Lewis unpacks in his book is an idea that I think is, it fits our modern uh, culture very well, which is that there are two major errors when it comes to Satan. One is the error of what, you know, superstition. Behind every rock, there is a devil. Every, it's, I stub my toe, it's the devil. I wreck my car, it's the devil. There's a devil ever, so it's always the devil. And on the other side is the materialist side, which is there is no devil. And in the screw tape letters, he says that Satan and his demons are happy with either one. Whether you're a materialist or a magician, he is happy with either one. Because both are errors, both reduce evil, and both absolutely paralyze you with fear. Paralyze you with confidence. Paralyze you from going and taking ground from the enemy. Who we fight, the principalities, the powers, the enemy, Satan himself. How do we fight and what do we fight? How he fights and what we fight? First Peter 5 says that he is walking around like a roaring lion. You know the scripture. Seeking whom he may devour. How does a lion hunt? They're very cunning. They're very sneaky. I was actually, I, I did go out for a little run early this morning and I was kind of out in the backwoods of College Grove and Ever since Tony told me about mountain lions, this is just the truth, that there's been a mountain lion spotting in our area, I just think if I'm a mountain lion and you see me running, you know what I mean? It's like the ice cream truck just went by. So I'm tootling around the backside of a golf course back in the woods thinking, I, I'm getting a little, like, like it's going to help. Like I'm on this side of the, because there's woods on this side, so I scoot a little closer to this side of the golf cart. This is the honest, honest to goodness conversation I'm having in my head. There's a pond up there, like one of the golf course ponds. So I don't think they can swim, so I can at least get to that. I know, Doug, it's just, it is. Welcome to my, this is a day in the life of my brain. But as I'm doing that, it occurs to me, I'm sitting there scared of something that may not even exist. What I should be scared of is that cheeseburger that I put in my mouth last night. The cholesterol, like the things that are actually I should be scared of, I'm not even thinking because I got some monster in my mind in the woods. Satan is so cunning that he wants you to be waiting for the monster, the dark, scary thing out there somewhere and not really thinking about the real battles that you're facing, the, the more common ones that you're facing, the more accurate ones. And those are almost all in our heads. Over and over again in scripture, it talks about renewing your mind by the word of God. It talks about casting down imaginations. And I would say that for us in our modern day times, in our world right now, in this modern Western culture, that we could be worried about some mountain lion coming out of the bushes, not realizing that inside of our own lives and our own is an enemy that wants to kill us by just planting an idea in our mind that takes us and those lies, by the way, at the beginning of time, what did Satan do in the garden? He lied. With Jesus, what did he do? He lied. With you, what's he doing? He's lying to you. I've heard this true, and I don't know that this is accurate, and, you know, Pete, you might be able to confirm this or not, but I've heard that when you look over a piano, that if you sing a note, if you don't have perfect pitch and you don't know which 
note you're singing, that the, the string in the piano would actually vibrate, and that's the note that you're singing. What I believe that Satan does, it's not that he makes good people bad, it's that he makes bad people worse. And we all are sinners saved by grace, and so he's playing the note in you. The one at that point of time that he leans over and speaks and sings that note and it vibrates, he's playing you. And there's two kinds of lies. There's temptations and there's accusations. Both are equally reprehensible. The temptation is the one that hides you from God's holiness and how dangerous sin is. It's the extreme that says, I'm so covered by grace that I might as well get my money's worth. Here's how... This is how stupid an idea can get, and I, this is another true story. When I was in Bible college, I saw that scripture where Jesus says, he who is, if you've even lusted after a woman, that you've already done it in your hearts, and it already counts. And I'm thinking, I might as well get my money's worth. I thought that and was absolutely, that idea in my head was a lie from Satan that was hiding God's holiness from me and saying, I'm forgiven anyway. So temptation says that it, it lowers your view of the, the consequences and raises your view of his grace. On the other side is an accusation which hides God's love and plays up God's holiness. The accusation is where a lot of us spend our lives. The accusation is where, I can't believe I'm so stupid. I can't believe how dumb I was. I, this, I, don't, I don't ever want to see that person again. I don't ever want to. The accusation is saying, what is Satan? He's the accuser of the brethren, and his accusations are that what you did in specific, in particular, was so bad that you are now forever disqualified. And you may not even be thinking about being disqualified from ministry, disqualified from life, but the fact that you didn't speak up at a moment when you could have and you should have was because there's some lie inside of you that backed you down that you didn't even know was there. He's playing you. The Bible speaks, the word of God, it says, is sharper than any two-edged sword, dividing between the soul and the spirit. Those are surgery terms. And the weapon that we have in here, we're going to get into, is the word of God, the, the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God. And I truly believe that one of the greatest attacks that's happening in our society right now is against this, is against the Bible. Because he knows that this is what would divide between your soul and your spirit. This is the thing that you can begin to look into yourself and say, that's not true. He says, I'm the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. Put on the whole armor of God, and we're going to talk about what that is. It's just the simple gospel. It's not allowing the lies of the enemy of temptation and of accusation to paralyze me and to literally neuter me, but instead to say, no, that's not what he says at all in here. Finally, my brothers, be strong in the Lord and in the power of his might. Put on the whole armor of God. And how we fight, and I'm going to land on this one. We're going to just keep going until we get done in these next few weeks. The whole armor of God is, he talks about the shield of faith. He says, above all, put up the shield of faith. Now, Paul, keeping in mind, in prison, probably chained to a Roman soldier, would have been looking at this guy's armor and realizing, oh, there's a story here. But in that is another story, that you would be able to be able to withstand the darts of the enemy. It doesn't say it's going to stop him from shooting. Oh, he's going to shoot. But how do we withstand the, the darts, the fiery darts, the lies of the enemy? Above all, the shield of faith. 
if you've seen any of these old movies, Gladiator, where they show Roman brigades, what do they do when the Roman brigade is coming? They've got their shields in front of them. And when the other army would be shooting their arrows, what do they do? Side by side, they lift up the shield above, above all. Side by side. What I'm getting at is that this is a team sport. You see, when James says to submit yourselves, plural, to God, resist the devil and he will flee from you. It's a team sport. Maybe the, the difference from Elson praying on his own all those years ago for those demonic attacks to stop, maybe the only difference was that he was sitting in a room with me and with his wife and with his sister, and we were praying together, and above all, holding up the shield side by side. One of the greatest traps and lies of the enemies is to, to literally to, to pull you away, to make you be the last guy. If you look to the Old Testament, you see the battles that they faced there. The enemies of Israel would often wait for those that were weak and that would fall behind and they would attack them. For you to isolate yourself from the kingdom, for you to isolate yourself from others, is a lie of the enemy, whether it's accusation or temptation that isolates us from each other. And it puts us in a place where I've only got one little shield over my head, but when I've got you standing beside on one side and someone standing on the other side, I've got this full-blown, above all, shield of faith, locking arms with each other that protects me from the fiery darts of the enemy. And you know why? Just think about it practically. One of the greatest gifts anybody could ever give anybody is a gift of self-awareness. I'm a lot more aware than I was 20 years ago of what I can and can't do. But I still have a lot of blind spots. And the way that I've got the awareness that I have now is because I've given uh, permission to speak the truth to me. There were years where I'd sit in the back of a bus with a band and give them the, uh, every year we'd do this, every year we'd do this thing where I'd say, you just tell me, what am I doing good and what am I doing wrong? And it was, those were sometimes painful to hear, but they were almost always true. And the truth will what? Set you free. In small group environments where we are together, where we are telling each other the truth. And by the way, the truth sometimes is, Others have told you that you're not worthy. Others have told you that you, you can't do this. You can't. And sometimes the truth is, no, 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 you can do this. I don't know. You're, are you crazy? That, one of the greatest truths anybody told me was Jamie George, Journey Church. They just celebrated 10 years. But six years ago, he sat down across the table from me and said, Darren, you're a pastor. And this, is, this little thing you call a Bible study is a church. That was the truth. And it made me so mad. Because I didn't want to hear that. I had a job, I had a career, I had a company, I had a life, and I thought a church would poison it, and I didn't. But here's the thing. If I would have been by myself and isolated and out of a church family, the fiery darts of the enemy would have pierced me, and there wouldn't be a conduit. $2.5 million that have gone into the kingdom of God that have done amazing things, that have, by the way, exponentially increased since we started the church, not decreased. That was part of the fear. My lie was that the church will ruin it. <laughs> the church will poison it. We'll have all this overhead. We won't be able to do anything. Lies, lies, lies. And it wasn't until I was standing side by side with a brother who said, no, no, this is a church and you're a pastor. Whether you like it or not, you can stay here and pretend you're not or you can acknowledge it and follow whichever. It doesn't matter to me, but that's the truth. And above all, this shield of faith, side by side with my brothers and my sisters, pick up the shield of faith, but it's not something we get to do in isolation and by ourselves. Would you stand and let's pray. I know I machine gunned you this morning. 
But this week, maybe what you can begin to look at in your own life is, okay, so, I, I, you know, for me, like these days, like I, I literally can walk by a voodoo temple in Haiti, and I genuinely am not scared of it, like genuinely not scared. I think it's like a snake oil guy, just whatever. But the guys in Haiti, they're terrified of it. They walk by, I thought for the first few years we were going there, they thought a machete was going to come out or something. But they're not. They're just scared that a demon's going to jump on them. Now, for them, that's their fear. For me, it's not. For me, what is, what is mine, whether it's through insecurity, what I'm asking you is what is your string that he is playing you on this week? He is so sophisticated and so complex that we cannot reduce it to a psychological, to a physiological, to a sociological. We can't reduce it to that. There's a lot of things, way bigger things going on here than just you and me. How is he playing you this week? And what would your life be like a week from today if you stopped letting him play that note in your life? Father, would you give us wisdom? Show us what those strings are. Bring us brothers and sisters beside us that can speak truth to us, that can hold up a shield of faith side by side to withstand those darts that are coming at us. Help us to not fall into the error of giving Satan too much power and help us not fall into the other error of just ignoring him altogether. That we could walk the the, the sophisticated and the complex and the beautiful walk that you have encouraged us to walk. We ask for your strength and your courage And for those in here right now that might feel like the weight of the world is all over them, that they can't stand, that they've done all to stand, that you would give them the strength to stand. We ask for your power, Lord. We ask for your supernatural strength and courage all over us as we face the enemy. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Armor was not made for running away.